you'll stop trying to make it all okay with the world because we can't. And just trust that he's going to provide. We're glad that you're here. Uh, and don't worry, we're still looking for a preaching minister. Just because the old guy's up here, it's not, not permanent. So you can breathe a sigh of relief there. <clears throat> we had an eventful year in 2013 here at Greenville Oaks with our church family. God blessed us in some, some really wonderful ways, some good things going on. Had a, our leadership reorganized to help them shepherd the congregation, the flock here more effectively. Our, our church ministry staff reorganized to help us lead the ministries of the church in a, in a more effective way, in a more significant way. And we thank God for that. We, we brought on a, a year-long youth ministry, sorry, a children's ministry resident in uh, Haley Thompson. She's been doing a phenomenal job, and we are so blessed. Know we're going to continue to be blessed in 2014 with what she does. And then at the, in August, we had a record contribution. Someone made a, a challenge gift, and, and it spurred us on to some sacrificial giving like we've never done before. I know so many of you uh, sacrificed in the way that you gave. Brought us not only up to budget, but uh, gave us the, the resources to do some things that have been needing to be done for a long time and deferred because we simply didn't have the resources to do that. And perhaps most significantly of all, uh, we, we introduced a new vision for the church family here at Greenville Oaks. Our, our mission is the same. We, we're about seeking all who need Jesus and together becoming his fully devoted followers. That hasn't changed. But you know, if you say that to somebody, the, the first natural question that somebody would have is, well, okay. So what's a fully devoted follower? What, what does somebody who is a fully devoted follower of Jesus look like? And, and we realized that we probably had not done as good a job as we needed to of explaining that in very clear and simple terms, in a very simple way. Because if it's going to be clear, it's got to be fairly simple. So we say, you know, we need to be able to do that. We need everyone to be able to, to understand this is what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And we said we're going to summarize that in three phrases. Love God, first and foremost. Love people. That's the great commandment in the second one, Jesus said. And then third is to serve others. And when we do that, when, when that's who we are as individuals and as a church family, then we are fulfilling our mission. We are realizing that vision that God has given us for, for helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we want to do is periodically we want to come back and kind of use that as a touchstone, say, okay, what, let's remember now, this is what we're about. This is who we are. This is where we're going, where God is, is leading us. It's a journey that we're on. You know, the imagery of a journey is used repeatedly to talk about our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. We're on our way to some place. 
Imagine a lot of you experience something about being on your way somewhere over the holiday season. You know, you, you loaded up the, the luggage and the presents and the food and the kids in the, in the van or the SUV or the car, and you went off to wherever it is you went to, the parents' house or the grandparents' house or wherever. And it might have been several hundred miles journey that you were setting out on, but probably you hadn't been in the car but 30 minutes or maybe an hour at the most when you heard the question that comes from the back seat. You know the question, right? What question did you hear? Yeah, are we there yet? When are we going to get there? Because we're so eager, especially our children, to get there. They don't like just sitting and riding. They want to be there. But it's not just children who have this burning desire to get somewhere. We all have times where we're here, and we don't want to be here. We want to be there, and we just can't wait to get there. I had an experience like that a few years back. Cindy and I, along with my brother and his wife, had gone to Ireland your name is Maloney, you have to go to the ancestral homeland at one time or another, okay? So we went to see the sights of Ireland, had a wonderful trip, finished the week that we were there, and we were to leave on the plane to come back to the States the next morning. About six o'clock in the evening, I get a text from American Airlines notifying me that our flight had been canceled. Not only was our flight canceled, because of, there was, a, I think there was a volcano erupting in Iceland, spewing these huge clouds of volcanic ash over the Atlantic Ocean, right in the, right in the airplane lanes, you know, flight lanes. So they said, it's not only canceled, we've booked you on a flight two days later. Now, under any other circumstance, I would have gone, yes, wow, two more days of vacation, no cost, uh, this is wonderful. Unfortunately, there was this little glitch that we had. Our daughter was going to graduate from college two days later while we were going to be on an airplane over the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And that was not going to do. So I got on the phone. I got on the Internet. I got on anything that I could. I would have sent a carrier pigeon if I thought it could have gotten there, trying to find out how can we get back home so that we can be there for our daughter's college graduation. About halfway through the night, I finally found a reservation agent or a ticket agent, whoever it was, that wanted to help me, you know. I mean, bless their heart, when something like that happens, they have got to be the most patient people in the world. And I discovered that the reason we couldn't fly back from there is there were no planes there because for the last few days, nothing had been able to get there. She said, look, if you can get to London, I think we can get you back to the United States. So I start then feverishly trying to get a flight from Dublin to London. And I did. It took me all night long to do it, but we got a flight early enough the next morning to get to London in time to change planes and get back to the U.S. Those are not cheap flights, by the way, when you do a last-minute fare. Cost us more than double to go from about a one-hour flight from Dublin to London than it did to go from London back to Dallas. But we got here. We got from here to there, and it was okay. Sometimes whether we get from here to there or not depends on whether we really 
want to do it. When you stop and think about it, life is really kind of a constant journey, you know? We're always trying to figure out how do we get from here where I am right now to there where I really want to be. How do I get from, especially at this time of the year, being in really bad shape to being in good shape? How do we get from here to there? Or maybe for you, you've come to the realization that you can't keep spending the way that you have without bearing the consequences. And you want to know, how do we get from being really deep in debt to being out of debt? Or, or maybe it's, it's about a relational situation with you. Maybe you're, you've been in this kind of romantic relationship for a while and you're just kind of stuck. It's just not going anywhere. And you want to go, how can I get from here to there where I think this relationship ought to be? Or maybe you've passed that one. Maybe you're married and you, you, it's great, man. You love marriage and you're wanting to have a family. You want to have some kids, and how do we get from here to there because it's a struggle? Or maybe, maybe you have kids. You've had kids for years, and you're ready for those puppies to be launched. How do we get from here to there? But we always are looking for something. We're always on this journey. It's just, it's just part of the human condition. You know, it's interesting, God's people in the Bible seem to always be going from here to there. Somehow. I mean, right in the very beginning, book of Genesis, God shows up to this guy, lived in a city called Ur over what is now modern-day Iraq. A city called Ur, this guy named Abram. And he says, Abram, I want you to go from here to there. I'll tell you where it is when you get there, but, man, I'm going to give you a really good deal. Or a few years later, a number of years later, several hundred years later, it's a guy named Moses that God shows up to. He says, Moses, my people are in Egypt, and they're in slavery, and they're in bondage. That's the here. Moses, I want you to lead them there. Or uh, about 40 years after that, God shows up to a guy named Joshua. Because they've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. That's, that's their here. And he says, Joshua, I want... I want my people to go there. I want them to go to the land that I promised them. A few hundred years go by, and, and God shows up to some people again, Nehemiah and Ezra and some other leaders of the Israelites, because they're here by that time is in captivity, in exile. And he says, I want you to lead my people back there, back to the land that I intended for them to have. You see, God's people are always on a journey of some kind. But it's not just a journey about geography. It's a spiritual journey. It's a journey from, from doubt to faith. It's a journey from despair to hope. It's a journey from, from conflict to peace. It's a journey from trying to do it ourselves to learning to trust in God. God says, that's what I want for you. I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to go from fear to courage. I want you to go from sin to obedience. I want you to go from death to life. That's the journey that we're on. And he calls people to that journey still. 
And so that's what we're going to look at today and for the next few weeks is how do we get there? How do we travel this journey that God is calling us to be on, both individually and collectively as a church family, as we call people to become his fully devoted followers. We're going to look at the first one of those three phrases today, loving God. What does it look like when we love God? Loving God basically means our vision for people loving God is that every single follower of Jesus Christ, every single person who who names the name of Jesus, who sells out their life to him, Every single one has placed his or her devotion to God as the highest priority in their life above anything else. And the result of that is they become more peace-filled, more truth-telling, more gospel-speaking, more people-loving, more prayer-powered, more sin-overcoming. Followers of Jesus Christ. It just permeates everything that they are. Now here's a question for us. Are we there yet? No. We're not there. We're here. But we can't stay here. we got to go there. That's where God's calling us to. That's where he's leading us to. So how do we get from here to there when it comes to loving God? We want to look at that this morning. We want to look at it through the lens of the Scripture. A guy named Paul, who was one of the most fully devoted followers of Jesus you'll ever hear about, this guy wrote a letter to a church in a city in ancient Greece called Philippi. It's in your book of Philippians in your New Testament. So if you want to get your Bible, turn there. Philippians, we're going to be in chapter 3. We're just going to spend a few minutes there this morning. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 4. Because I think Paul here is really zeroing in on what it means to love God and some things about our journey to get from here to there. Philippians 3 verse 4, he says, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul said, I had it down, man. I mean, I was there. But what things were gain to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. It's an amazing passage. It's just so deep. It's just so rich. 
And where Paul starts out here with this passage is he's saying, this is my here, okay? Where was Paul? Had he gotten there? No. But he says, this is where I'm going. His here is what he describes as confidence in the flesh. So that's where I started. Now, when he says in the flesh, the flesh isn't just talking about physical strength or physical health, although that's a part of it. But when he's talking about he had confidence in the flesh, basically what he's saying is anything that I was trusting in was my own stuff, my own achievements, my own accomplishments, my own attainments, my own ability. If I am trusting in what I can do or what I have, then that's confidence in the flesh. Paul said, that's what I was doing. You know, we all do that. We all have a tendency to do it. It looks differently for different ones of us. For some of us, the big athletes, it may be the physical strength and ability. For most of us, it's things like our money or our, our intelligence or our, our gifted ability in something else or our job or how we look, how smart we are. He claimed, I'm sorry, All of these things is what Paul was looking at. Paul goes through this list of things, and he says, you know, the thing I was really trusting in, of all things, was religious stuff. You see, it's kind of ironic. You can trust in your religion and what you do in your religion, and that's still trusting in yourself instead of really trusting in God. That's where Paul says he was. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day to the people of Israel. That was just the, the best. That was, that's exactly what the law said. You were a male Israelite. You were supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day. He says, I got that one down. That's a great start. And then he says, I was in the tribe of Benjamin. Of all the 12 tribes, Benjamin was one of the most esteemed. They were, they were the guardians of Jerusalem. And, and the, Paul's namesake, Saul, first king of Israel, was from the tribe of Benjamin. Man, that was, really, that was really something. Now, he says, I was a Pharisee. In that day, in that culture, in the community in which Paul lived, that was one of the best things you could be. They were the spiritual elite. They were like the Navy SEALs of spirituality. And Paul says, I was there. Man, I, was, I really had that down. He's, and then he says, I was, I was so zealous for God that God's enemies were my enemies. And I thought that meant the church. I thought the church was God's enemy, so I was persecuting the church. Paul says, man, I had this long list of religious stuff that I had down. And then I met Jesus. And when I encountered Jesus, suddenly all of this stuff, all of these things that I considered assets in my life, these these religious things that I counted on, suddenly all that turned upside down. 
and all that stuff that I was so proud of and so depending on, I realized wasn't any good. To explain this, Paul uses business language. He uses accounting language about gain and loss. He says, I've changed the way I think about what's an asset spiritually and what's a liability spiritually. About, oh, 12 or 13 years ago, a guy by the name of Robert Kiyosaki wrote a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Anybody ever read that book? Anybody seen that book? Yeah, a bunch of people have. That's understandable. It sold 26 million copies. So a lot of people have read Kiyosaki's book. He's a rich dad today, man. I mean, he really is. But he wrote this book, and the book was a very simple premise, or one of the premises of the book. He says, one of the biggest problems people have financially, one of the things that contributes more to financial struggles than anything else is the inability to distinguish between an asset and a liability. He says, an asset is, is really simple. He tried to keep it real simple. An asset is something that puts money in your pocket, especially in difficult times. And a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. And he said, but people, people confuse that. For example, let's, let's make, I mean, that's real simple. Let's make sure we're on the same page. Let's say somebody buys a, a small apartment complex or several rental houses, and they're all leased out, and they're generating revenue that's more than enough to cover the expenses that they're incurred. Is that an asset or a liability? It's an asset. It goes over here on this column. On the other hand, let's say somebody goes and buys this really big, nice house, and they just live there. And they have to pay the utilities, they have to pay the taxes, they have to pay the HOA dues, they have to pay all of this stuff, as well as upkeep. Is that an asset or a liability? Financially, that's a liability. It's not putting anything in your pocket, it's taking money out of your pocket. Or, or a vehicle. Let's say somebody goes down and, and buys a vehicle and uses it, or maybe more than one vehicle, uses them to... Uh, to generate revenue. Maybe they haul people around. You know, we've been hearing a lot about that in the news around Dallas lately, the people that aren't cabs that are hauling people around and how that works and everything. Or maybe they buy a truck and they haul freight and they're generating money more than enough to pay for their expenses. Is that an asset or liability? That's an asset. But let's say somebody goes out and takes that same amount of money and, and buys a really expensive vehicle. And they got to pay for the insurance and they got to pay for the upkeep. And, and all the while, the vehicle is depreciating in value. Is that an asset or a liability? You see, sometimes it's, it's really, you got to really think about it. That's a liability. Well, what about our kids? Are they an asset or a liability? Man, financially, they're a liability. There's very few things that are as expensive as kids. Now, 100 years ago, that wasn't the case. 100 years ago, Having children was an asset, man. They worked on the farm and did all that kind of stuff. Not there anymore. But we have to understand the difference between an asset and a liability. And when Jesus comes along, Jesus totally inverts people's understanding of what spiritually is an asset and spiritually is a liability. You see, Paul is saying Meeting Jesus has radically transformed my understanding of the spiritual economy. Because when we're talking about the spiritual asset and liability list, spiritually, anything 
is an asset that's going to cause me or help me to love God more, to trust in Him more, to depend on Him more, to serve Him more. That's going to be an asset. Now, the way you tell if something is an asset or not is you just ask some questions. You know, is this going to make me more humble or more proud? Is this likely to make me love people more or tend to be more judgmental of people? Is this, is this going to make me... Is this going to make me more generous or more selfish? Is this going to build up my faith and and cause me to have my identity more firmly grounded in Jesus? Or is it going to cause me to kind of depend on myself, be more reliant on my own abilities and accomplishments? When Jesus came, he turned it upside down. I mean, that's what the Beatitudes were all about. He went around saying to people that everybody considered losers and rejects, man, you guys are great. You guys are so well off. And like in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, he says, he's talking to poor people. He says, blessed are you who are poor. Why? Is being poor a good thing? No, it's not. I've been poor. It's not fun. And you think it's not fun today. You should have been poor back then. It was, it was the pits. Jesus isn't saying, blessed are you for poor because you need to take some kind of perverse pleasure in difficult things. There's no, no honor in that. But he says, blessed are you who are poor because yours is the kingdom of heaven. You see, he understood that the more I have, whether it's money, whether it's ability, whether it's reputation, it doesn't matter. You just fill in the blank. Whatever kind it is that's your particular cup of tea, the more I have, the more I tend to let that be a barrier to keep me from really trusting in God and loving him above everything else. Let me tell you, in Collin County, Texas, in 2014, we got some big barriers to get past. Jesus said, blessed are you. He said the opposite, too. He says, woe to you who are rich. He said things like, man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's kind of scary. Well, ironically... For Paul, his confidence in the flesh tended to be about religion because that's real easy for us to do too. And he says right here in Philippians 3, what was to my profit, that's the asset side, I now consider loss. What I had put on this side now has shifted over here. Because see, right now I realize I only have one great asset And that's Jesus Christ. And I know he, and my goal, my aim, my treasure in life is to know Jesus. Not just know about him, but have this living relationship with him. 
That's what I want, Paul says. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, his resurrection power in my life. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his death. See, Paul knew he had some dying to do if he was going to really love God the way that God intended for him to. He had some things he had to die to. He said, I want to do that because that's the way I get life with God that's better than anything here. Now, try to get a little picture of this. Got this thing right here. Anybody recognize this? It's a shredder. Hopefully you have one in your house. They're really helpful for security reasons and stuff, okay? What do you put in a shredder? Stuff that's not valuable. See this right here? This is my diploma from Texas Christian University. Okay, it's not Harvard, but it's an accredited college. What is our education credentials? What do they tend to make us do? Rely on God more or ourselves more? Spiritually, is this an asset or a liability? It's a liability. Needs to go in the shredder. Ah, this is a stock certificate. When I was in college, I worked at a bank over in Fort Worth, and they had a they had a college course that they encouraged all their employees to take. And whoever made the highest grade in the class got a certificate of the bank stock. Got one certificate, one share of stock. <laughs> Now, this isn't really so much about money. It's about ability. Does that tend to make me more humble, more reliant on God or myself? Spiritually, is it an asset or a liability? It's a liability. It needs to go in a shredder, man. Ah, there's a check. My name on it. Money. Asset or liability, spiritually? It's a liability. But I ain't putting that in the shredder. I still got to pay my bills, you know. Maybe this kind of sums it all up right here. This is a resume with my name on it. What do we put on a resume? Things that make us more humble, more reliant on God. Is that what we do when we write a resume? Man, we take, we take courses. We, we go to seminars teaching us how to write a resume so people will think we are just amazing. I remember when I was in the business world, I'd hire people. I'd have read their resume. I thought, wow, this, whoa. And then I'd interview the person. they go, I think I got the wrong resume. You know, you ever had that? Because we do this to make us look good. Spiritually, is this an asset or a liability? It's a liability. It needs to go in a shredder. You see, anything that's going to cause me to rely more on myself and less on God is a liability. I've got to get rid of it. Now, that doesn't mean education's bad. That doesn't mean investments are bad. That doesn't mean that 
that money is bad, that's good stuff. Unless we start relying on that instead of relying on God. Now, the question is, for you, what needs to go in the shredder? What is it that you have that you're relying on for your well-being? Investments? And if you had them in 2008, you realize you can't really rely on those very well. Your job? Your ability, your education, your money, your connections? We all tend to rely on things. And what those are are barriers to really trusting God and loving Him the way He calls us to. Paul struggled with it. When it comes to moving from here to there, Paul said, I'm not there yet. I got a ways to go. You see, Paul was here, and he knew what there was. He wanted to get there. But he says, I'm not there yet. If you, when you're looking at where you are and where you want to be, where you know God is calling you, that journey God's calling you on, and you're just shaking your head and saying, I don't, I don't think there's any way I'll ever get there. Then you need to hear the next thing that Paul says. Verse 12 of Philippians 3. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, guys, don't get me wrong. That's where I want to be, but I'm not there. And if you ever feel like there's just no way you will ever be able to love God, to have that relationship with him that he's calling us to have, you need to listen to what Paul says. Paul says, I'm not there yet, but I'm not giving up. Because I forget what's behind Man, if I just royally blew it, I just messed up really bad yesterday, I'm going to forget it because that's going in the bottomless pit of God's grace. And if I did something really good and I should be really proud of that, man, I've got to put that behind me too. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was good or bad. Whatever's in the past, I've got to put behind me because I want to get there. Paul says, I'm going to forget that and I'm going to strain Lord, what God's calling me to. Here's the question for us I want to challenge you to do this week. I want you to think about your own life. I want to look at your own situation. And you make a list of the assets and liabilities that you have spiritually. What is it that you tend to rely on instead of just trusting in God? It's the first step toward loving God. Years ago, 30 years ago, when our son, Chris, was just a little tiny guy, we decided we were going to take him 
to a really cool place for a little tiny fella. Uh, Charles E. Queso, otherwise known as Chuck E. Cheese. We thought he's really going to like this. And he was, he was playing with his toys, and he loved toys. I mean, all kids love toys, but he took it up a couple of notches, man. He loved toys. And I went in there to where he was in his little room playing with his toys. And I said, okay, Chris, come on. We've got to put those down. It's time to go. And he didn't understand because he was loving what he was doing. I said, no, no, leave that here. It'll be here when you get back. Come on, we, we want to take you somewhere. Loaded him up in the car. It was all he could do to not cry. And we buckled him into his car seat, headed down the road. We, we, we don't really like the cuisine at Chuck E. Cheese that well. So we said, oh, here's what we'll do. We'll stop at a place he'll like. And we'll, we stopped at McDonald's to have a burger and fries. And he took about three bites out of his Happy Meal. And then he wanted to go play in the little play, play yard area. Okay, you can go. After a few minutes, I went and got and said, okay, son, come on, it's time to go. Come on. And now, he wasn't sure before. Now he knows we're trying to hurt him, okay? We, he knows that we just got it in for him. He starts crying. We get him. We put him in the car, buckle him in, and we drive to Chuck E. Cheese. We get him out, wipe his tears, we go inside, and his eyes get big as saucers, and his mouth drops open, because he's never seen anything like how wonderful that place is. You see, sometimes our father says, come on, put that down, leave it alone. You really want to come here with me. And we don't understand. And we think that's going to be so hard. And we cling to it. We clutch it so tightly. And God pries our fingers away. And he takes us to another place. And we think, oh, man, this is so much better. Oh, I'm so glad I left that behind and came here. And then God says, okay, but you're not done with your journey yet. We're not there yet. Come on. Let this go. And we just don't know that we can. We just don't think we can let it go. But when we do, and he takes us to where he's calling us to be, we realize that is so much better. But we've got to let him go. So look this week. Search your heart. What do you need to let go to be able to love God? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for loving us too much to leave us with the stuff that's okay, the good stuff, or even to leave us with the better stuff because you won't be satisfied until we have the very best. Father, we confess we're not there yet individually or as a church, we've got, we've got such a long journey. Father, sometimes we get so discouraged because we have blown it. And at other times, maybe even worse, we get 
we get cocky, we get proud because of what we've seen you do with us. Father, whichever way it is, help us to put it behind us, to let it go, and to open ourselves up to what you intend for us to know in our relationship with you, the righteousness that you give. As Jesus did, let us empty ourselves so that you can fill us. And make this year an incredible blessing for us so that we can be a blessing to people. For we pray it in Jesus' name and amen.